Welcome along to another Know My Faith Monday podcast. My guest today is Pastor Nigel Woodley from Flaxmere. I've got to get it right, isn't it? Flaxmere Christian Fellowship. Flaxmere Christian Fellowship. You've been pastoring that for, what, nearly 40 years? 38 years. You're an old man now. <laughs> full-time <laughs> since 1984. I've been full-time there uh, since 84, what's that, yep. 30, 36, going 36 on 37 years, years actually, yeah. coming up 37 years. Yeah, so Nigel and I are one month or a month and a half apart in age, so we're going to talk about a lot of stuff from the 60s and 70s. Still young. Yeah. Still young, mm. yeah. Um, so, and again, similar um, background is that your parents were Christians yeah. when you were born, and yes. so you were brought up in a Christian household. Did yeah. you ever do the normal thing that the rest of us did and like wander off and do drugs and sex and rock and roll and all that? Um, might have wanted to. <laughs> But I didn't get quite. I didn't quite get there. And um, I was a twin. My twin brother Stephen and I were sort of brought up in a sheltered household. Was yeah, he passed away in two thousand? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, he's well. We know where he is, so yeah. we, we, we rejoiced. I took his funeral. My own twin brother. But um, we were brought up in a, a sheltered Christian home. My father was a police sergeant. Okay. So we knew what the rule of law was, and uh, <laughs> I was going to say you, you fully understand the fear of the Lord. <laughs> that's right. Um, we knew what the scripture meant before we understood the scripture. Yeah. Children obey your parents, so we we honoured our parents, um, but at the same time, you know, we didn't go to the parties that you might have gone to, drugs or sex, not really, but the world had already touched us. Yeah. We were tainted, and we needed to be redeemed. So yeah. we had our own stuff, baggage to deal with, yeah. and uh, I came to Christ at the age of 18, going on 19. So and having born, see this is one of the things that yeah. we were talking about before, is that you always believed. Always believed. But, always believed. but you didn't actually make that final commitment until you were in your late teens. Late teens. I knew I, I was going to a church that preached the word of God, the truth, yeah. as the truth. Um, and even though I've been going to church all my life, to be honest, one of the motivating factors in me coming to Christ in a commitment, total commitment to Christ, was the fact that I knew, I doubted that if I died in living the way I was living, uh, which meant there wasn't much room for God in my heart, if I, if I died, I had a doubt whether I would go to heaven, and I feared that I would go to hell. That was one of the motivating factors that turned me around. That's interesting, isn't it, as a... Um, as a Bible believing believer in Jesus Christ, yeah. and and you know, I said to you before, somebody asked me once, you know, during those days, Rob, did you still believe in Jesus? I never stopped believing mm. that Jesus died for my sins, never ever. Me neither. But I, I because I have a conscience like you, I in my conscience I know when when I'm pleasing God, yep. and when I'm not pleasing yeah. God, and I wanna I wanna leave this life <laughs> pleasing, him. pleasing him, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to That's not pleasing him. Yeah. So do um, you. You did that at 18, and I think very soon afterwards, your parents were asked to start the, the Flaxmere Christian yeah. Fellowship. I committed my life to Christ at the beginning of the first Sunday in 1980. Oh, there we go. You know, that was the year they had the Good News Crusades oh, going, going, yeah. going through yeah. New Zealand. and yeah. uh, Good the, News 80. The old wonky guy, the funny guy, had a big impact. Mike Wonky, Mike yeah. Wonky, and... Yeah. Um, so it was within 12 months that my parents were asked to start a home group. And they had come out of a difficult church situation. It was no longer good for them to be in that church, either for themselves or for the church they were going to. So yep. they came out voluntarily, but others also came out voluntarily. There was no coercion. But they wanted to be to have the same sort of uh, faith expression as mum and dad, Pentecostal, charismatic, yep. Yep. charismaniac, whatever you call it. And um, so they started the Flaxman Christian Fellowship. This is at the end of 1980, so we just celebrated in Hastings recently our 40th anniversary. 40th, yeah. 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 And, and now we're no longer in a home. We're no longer a home group. We are a, a vibrant church in the community, well known in the Hastings area um, for several reasons. You know, part yeah. of it is our public advocacy for Israel, but also for other reasons when we speak up and say yeah. things and have an impact in our community. As a church should do. Well, we'll get onto the Israel yep. side because um, what we're all about with Know My Faith is is probably people sick of me saying it, but it's it's understanding the scriptures from that historical and cultural setting, mm -hmm. which has got all to do with Israel and the Jews mm -hmm. and Judaism mm -hmm. in the early days. So, when did that start to factor for you? Well, I I tell people when I speak, I just I just tell them, and this is the truth from my commitment to Christ at the age of 18 that I just talked about, 
Uh, I can't remember ever making a decision, now I must believe that Israel is God's, that, that modern Israel is the same as biblical Israel. It was always in my what I call my spiritual DNA. Okay. I just presumed that as I read my Bible and I, I was reading the secular news and hearing secular news of Israel today, that we were talking about the same group of people in the same place yeah. as the Bible speaks about. And uh, in those days I was ignorant, but as I gained knowledge I started to realize that although I was ignorant back then, I was correct. That it is the same Israel. Yeah. It's yeah. the land of Israel is the same today as it was in Bible times, and the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are still the same people, the descendants of the biblical Israel. And so many people say, well, how can, how can that be because the, you know, the, the, the nation of Israel are not God worshippers? You know, the modern nation, you go, well, okay, so that's, yeah. uh, that's Second Kings chapters <laughs> 7. Of course, nine, of know. course. But this is the whole point, is that uh, if you read through the history of Israel in, in Kings and Chronicles and through all the prophets, uh, Israel at large was quite an ungodly nation many times. Yeah. God never disowned them and says, you're no longer my people. Yeah, never, not once. Not once. No. And um, the, the, the prophets who were condemning the Israelites for all the things they were doing wrong in one breath, in the next breath, were declaring and prophesying their future restoration at a set time in the future, which the Bible calls Bacharit Hayamim, in the last days. The last days. That's what we're witnessing today. Yeah. So, um, and Israel's not back in the land as, an, as a nation state on, on the merits of something that's done well. It's on the merits of God's mercy. Yep. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, the Lord will have compassion or mercy on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and settle them in their own land. They're back there because of God's mercy and not because of any merits they've deserved. Yeah. Just like we're here talking on... On, on, on God's mercy. God's yeah. mercy that's and, brought and us together, Rob. Not, not anything because oh, we're clever enough or good enough to be here. I thought it was me. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I'm just reading in Second Chronicles yeah. at the moment, and uh, Jehoshaphat and Asa, and then you get Jehoshaphat's son, who I cannot remember which one of the ones, Jehoash or something like uh, that, who goes right off right the off. trails. Yeah. Jehoash. Um, and it's when you look at it, you go... And it's what we were talking about mm. before. They're not following mm. what Yahweh has said for them to do. Does that mean they don't actually believe that Yahweh is God? Mm. I, I don't think so. I think it's that they're just not following yeah. the, 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 what he's saying. Well, the fact is that the truth is that Israel today, the state of Israel, is a makeup of religious Jews and very secular Jews. Yeah. And, 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 and even with the religious Jews, you do have the ultra orthodox, the orthodox, but then you have very liberal Jews. Oh yeah, you've got you've got you've got and Jews who are who consider themselves religious Jews, but they don't believe in God. That's right. And 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 and, and to tell you the truth, the Jewish community, religious community, is very much like the Christian religious community. It's all you have the all place. the different yeah. colors and flavors that you can think of. But so you you have you have this element in Israel, secular society, religious society. And um, often it, very ungodly in some of the, the, the morality does not match up with yep. the Tanakh or the Torah uh, or our own Bible, which is the same basically in the Old Testament. And um, yet God hasn't brought them back because they are being well-behaved children. He's brought them back because of his mercy, because he has a plan. Yeah. And, 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 and part of that plan is to ultimately redeem them completely out of their sins and out of their backslidden state as a nation, and renew them through a renewed relationship with God through their Messiah, we believe yeah. that's Yeshua, Yeshua. Jesus. Jesus. The, the thing is, um, again, as you read through Chronicles and Kings, and you realize that God says, so the, the, he chose the Jews because of Abraham's faith, yeah. and Abraham's obedience. So mm -hmm. a, a lot of what he says, and he harks back to that, he mm -hmm. goes, it's not because of what you did, Nigel. Yeah, it's because right. of your father Abraham. Because of God's mercy, and, and for the kings of Judah is I'm not going to do this mm. for you because you've been godly. This is because mm. your father David yep. was godly, mm. but also because I promised your father David. Absolutely, I promised your father mm. Abraham. And uh, I remember when we were in Israel talking to Howard Bass, who uh, leads a fellowship in um, Besheva. Yeah, and he said, he said, you know, God's promises. To Israel, he says, if, if I break my covenant with day and night, yeah. then I'll break my covenant with the land and with yeah. the people because God holds to his word mm. for his name's sake. It, it, 
oh, we'll get onto a totally different subject, but but how often we miss the fact that God does this, not, not because we're godly or because we're obedient or, or whatever, but for his, his name's, name's sake. sake. And of course, he's a covenant-keeping God. You mentioned the covenant. It's on that basis too. It's yeah. that he made a covenant. I made a covenant, Abraham, so I'm and, keeping my covenant. And the basis yeah. of God's covenant with Abram in Genesis 17, when he gave him the covenant of circumcision, this is long before the law of Moses came in. Yeah. The covenant basically stated that um, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, will be an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. Yeah. And part of the covenant was, and I will be your God. So that's that's two major strands of that covenant is the fact that God has covenanted the land that is so disputed today to the Jewish people. Mm. And so you say, what right does Israel today in the 21st century have to claim that land that the Palestinians want? Well, they do have the right to claim it because God has given it to them and not to the Palestinians. Let's go on to that because this is a controversial thing that I haven't pre-warned you about, but I want it's to bring fine. it up. Good um, you have done full-page newspaper advertisements and articles in the likes of the, uh, the New Zealand Herald and the Dominion Post saying the New Zealand government should recognise Israel in the land because the Bible says so. And you go, well, hang on, the New Zealand government don't even believe the Bible's true. The Prime Minister doesn't believe in God. Why should she? You know, to me, I'm going, I'm going Nigel, that's a wasted advertisement. Actually... Actually, you need to go and read those articles again, Rob. Okay. And I've got them here with me, actually. But um, when I'm speaking to Christian audiences, I will bring that argument because we believe in the Bible. But if you read my articles that we, that we publish in the secular media, we never bring the Bible argument in. I think in one of those I might have mentioned the Bible also speaks of this basically as a sideline. But we always come on to the justification of Israel's sovereignty over the land on the basis of international law. That is the Balfour Declaration, uh, not the Balfour Declaration, the mandate for Palestine, which incorporated the Balfour Declaration into that mandate. That alone is, is, uh, gives them legitimacy to be where they are doing what they do. Yeah. So we, we bring an argument uh, also based on Israel's security that they just can't live within the 1967 borders. There's yeah. no room between them and their enemies who want to destroy them, and they need some, some room to react to an invasion. Um, but we're very careful when we're dealing with the secular, whether it's letters to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, which I write regularly, uh, or other members of Parliament, or whatever, uh, we're careful to keep the Bible out of it because we realise we're not talking to a, a Bible class, yeah. we're speaking to a secular audience. And so we try to come at them with the secular argument. And the good thing is, and this is God and his wisdom, God has made the argument fit for Israel, whether it's the biblical argument or just the, the argument of justice yeah. from the worldview. From international law. From international yeah. law. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, maybe I caught up on, on, on one line in one of those articles. Perhaps. I did read them. I did. No, no, I, I believe you. I believe you. The other thing is uh, we did do a petition to Parliament in 2015. That's right. And in that argument, I did spend some of the argument bringing the Bible story because that was who we are and what we did. So when we wrote to the select committee after that petition was presented, we told them that uh, we gave them the secular argument, but then we also said, and for us as Christians, this is also why it's so yeah. important. So we, we talked about what the Bible says and actually warned our politicians that if they are responsible for dividing the land of Israel, as far as we believe, that will bring New Zealand under the judgment of God. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a tough place to say that out loud, isn't yeah, it? And, yeah, and we did that. It, well, you know... Two days after that um, submission was presented to the select committee, which was 10 members of parliament uh, from both sides of the house, um, that they received the hard copy of the submission that I submitted yep. and the electronic version. And two days after that, I was attacked in the backyard of my assistant pastor next door to the church by an axe-wielding assailant. Goodness me! That and and I have I was no doubt. Ask what sort of reaction you get to that was things. in the that was at the end of 2015, um, six years ago, and uh, five years ago, just over five years ago, and I've never doubted until this day that that, that was a result. That was that was politically motivated. That attack. It was not some guy just attacking me for the sake of it. Not religiously motivated. He was he was he was actually affiliated to a gang. It was gang okay. affiliated. Yep. And. Um, I've got no doubt that people who did not like what we were doing, I don't think they wanted to kill me because they could have. Yeah. 
but he certainly wanted to intimidate me to say keep your mouth shut. But what was what was um, what was your internal reaction to that? To the X attack? To, yeah, to, to knowing to knowing that the X attack was a result of something you'd just done for God. Um, oh, both the assistant pastor who was basically almost a witness to it, certainly a witness to the immediate after effects of it. He was there to come to my aid. And myself, we felt ex- exhilarated that that we had been in something so controversial for God, you know. Yeah. And, and we'd spoken out for the Jewish people. I, I remember yeah. um, when I was working for Rima, I um, uh, somebody rang up and left messages on the phone saying what they wanted to do to me with a large carving knife because of. <laughs> you know. I'll, I'll uh, say can I say this wrong? Yeah. Regarding that petition to Parliament, you see the petition, the petition we sent to Parliament in two thousand and fifteen was deliberately sent because at that stage, New Zealand was given a seat on the Security Council, the UNC. That's right. Murray McCulley was the Foreign Minister for New Zealand, and he had two years on the Security Council. And from the beginning of 2015, I feared that the New Zealand government, that is, Minister McCulley, was going to use his position on the Security Council to placate the demands of the Palestinians, to look good in the eyes of the international community. Yep. And it would not be good for Israel, and I was completely right. Yeah, and yeah. that that motivated that petition to Parliament. And and when I was getting ready to actually, we got twelve thousand signatures. That's quite a big petition to Parliament. It's not a small petition. Yep. They get heaps of petitions, but twelve thousand signatures. And and we were calling on the New Zealand government to cease from pressuring the state of Israel to give up its godly, and God-given, and rightful land. Yeah and to recognise that Israel should have sovereignty over that land. That's, that's the basis yeah. of the petition. And when we were getting near the end of collecting signatures, and it started to get time, this is going to have to be released, and I got Stuart Nash, who is now the Minister of Tourism, he took it to Parliament for me. And uh, he was glad to do it. He made it known to me that he's a friend of Israel. And uh, when that was ready to be released in Parliament, I started, great fear began to grip my heart. And so much so I couldn't sleep at night. And then God in his mercy spoke to me, and he said, Nigel, overcome fear. Because I was afraid that people much more intelligent than me, and there's many of them out there, would pick holes in my argument, in my submission or my petition, and and make me look stupid. So that that fear of that That sort of shame started to flood my soul. And the Lord in his mercy came to me one night. In the middle of the night, he said, Nigel, overcome fear. Overcome fear. And then he showed me how to do it. Immediately he showed me, I saw in a vision like Abraham, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. I saw the same thing. It was Hebrews 13.6. I didn't know what it says, but I knew that I knew to look it up. So uh, God does that to you yeah. as well. It just gives you the scripture. I, I, go I look saw it. it up. I yeah. saw it, Hebrews 13.6. Yeah. And when I looked it up, it said, So we say with confidence, the Lord is on my side. I shall not fear. What can more mortals do to me? And the minute I read that, I realized I'm a word of faith preacher too. I've got to actually not just read it, I've got to say this. You've got to say it. So I said it, and I said it it with confidence. I said, I say with confidence, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can mere mortals do to me? Immediately, Rob, honestly, the spirit of fear just disintegrated into a thousand pieces and went. That's how I overcame that fear. And from that point, I never had any fear about the petition and wasn't even afraid about the axe attack. Yeah, and uh, and and it was very sad to find out that two years later, the guy that we got no doubt did it, committed suicide. Ah, that is sad. I would have yeah. loved to have brought him to Christ. We had yeah. nothing personal against him, and I don't think he had anything personal against yeah. me. But I believed, have always up to this day believed, it was all over our petition to Parliament. Yeah, because because yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, that's the love of Christ coming out yeah. of us. Gary Colville, I don't know if you mm. know Gary from uh, Potirua, but has the same he had was attacked. Yeah. Um, by gang members stopping stopping them from attacking somebody else, yeah. by showing the love of God to the guys that g- mm. did the attack. If I've got the story right, and Gary, you're welcome to correct me, but mm. I'm pretty sure the guy that attacked him is now his son-in-law. Yeah, you know what I was going to say about the 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 guy that rang Rima is, that, you know, the police checked it out. It was a legitimate threat on my life. Yes, and I remember driving home, mm-hmm. and I, I was at Waterford, tra- crossing over the, the just the waterway at Waterford, and I thought. Wow, God, you consider what I do for you at Rima important enough for me to be persecuted for yeah. you. you know, the, the disciples, and, and we were talking before as yeah. we were having coffee, the disciples in Acts chapter 8, I think it is, rejoiced that they'd been counted worthy, worthy to suffer. Worthy, that's right. 
you know, and we just don't understand as Christians living in the Western mm. world mm-hmm. what it's like to be persecuted and to suffer as Christians. And we, 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 we don't want to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. And yet God goes, actually, this, it's not such a bad thing. I learned a lot through that petition, though. I'll tell you why. Because um, I did ex- expect some form of response. Yeah. And I got a lot of response. And I got a lot of response, particularly from Christians, because it's a very emotive issue now. Yes. But, you know, so I naturally, it's in my DNA. I can understand why Christians are not supportive of Israel, despite the fact, you know, um, they might not agree with everything Israel does, but but does every government do everything that you want it to do? And uh, I got a lot of negative responses and positive responses. And some of the worst negative responses in phone calls and emails came from Christians. Oh my goodness! Voicing their displeasure yep. that I was supporting Israel and those poor Palestinians, as if, and they are playing on the you know the popular uh, notion that the Israelis are responsible for the plight of the Palestinians when they're not even. No, the, the people don't realize, and they haven't delved into educate themselves well enough to realize Israel did not create the Palestinian problem. It was the belligerence of the. The Arab nations the, around. You look at the look at the camps, the the refugee camps. Yeah, as a great example, because yeah. people go on. Are there some of these Palestinians? They're third generation in the refugee camps. They go, yeah. Did you ever actually look at what country those refugee camps are in? Because yeah. most of them aren't in Israel. Yeah, they're I actually know. in Arab nations. That's right. Well, and, and the other thing, I suppose some of your viewers will know, but not all, that there were two refugee problems in the late forties as a result of the State of Israel being formed in 1948. One refugee problem was, was created because of the War of Independence in 1947-48-49. Yep. Arabs did lose their homes just through the... That's the natural, unfortunately, the natural outcome of war. That is. That's what happens in every war. And it wasn't deliberately perpetrated by Israel to push the Arabs out. Maybe on one or two very rare occasions did, did perhaps naughty Israeli soldiers do that. But on the whole... They're not like that. But the majority of Arabs went either for their own free volition, had said, get out of the scene because there's a war on, or they were encouraged by their Arab leaders, particularly in places like Haifa. They said, leave your homes, vacate now because the Arab armies are coming. They will liberate your homes. And when you come back to your homes, you'll also have the plunder from the Jewish homes that will be left over. That never eventuated. And so they went into different places like Syria, Lebanon, uh, Jordan and Egypt, the Gaza Strip, yep. and became refugee camps. So the, there were 750,000 roughly who ended up in refugee camps, Palestinians. But at the same time, Rod, what, the, what, the, what, the, what the, the world does not concentrate on is the fact the other refugee problem was because of the birth of the State of Israel, uh, the Arab nations around Israel uh, ostracized and persecuted the Jewish communities in their nations. Yes and basically made it so uncomfortable for them to live in their nations, they were spewed out of the Arab nations, and that created a second refugee problem. And uh, about a million Jewish refugees left Arab nations and Middle Eastern, North African nations uh, during that conflict. 750,000 of them were repatriated in Israel as refugees, housed, clothed, given jobs, and integrated into the Israeli society. Mm. Now, why couldn't the Arab nations have done the same that the Jews had yeah. done to their people? Do they really love their own people, the Arabs, as the Jews love their Jews? You've done a lot of research yeah. on this. And, yeah. and I mean, we have to reiterate that we're not saying in any way that Israel does nothing wrong. Yeah, We're not saying in any way that, that the modern state of Israel is a godly nation, mm-hmm. because they're not. Yeah. But what we are saying is that the modern state of Israel is Israel. That's right. The Jewish people are still God's people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember talking to, uh, and his name will come to me, I keep, mm-hmm. I keep forgetting it, he's a, a um, believer who's a tour guide in Israel. Yeah. And I said to him, I, I said, uh, Jerry Bulow, that's his name. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> um, I, I, said, I said, you do an awful lot of tours with evangelical Christians mm-hmm. through Israel. Yeah. He said, yeah. I says, and they don't get it, do they? Mm-hmm. And he goes, No. No. Yeah, they love Israel. Yeah. They love it's mm. the land where Jesus was, but they still don't get it. No, don't and get I it. said, "What? Where? What is the point where they get it? Where you see the lights come on?" He mm. goes, "When they realize that the land is God's." Yeah, and that's the thing. So we're not we're not holding up the modern yeah. state of Israel and saying this yeah. is a godly nation or anything, mm. but we're saying that that 
they are still God's people. Mm. This is still God's land. Yep. And this is biblical Israel back yep. in the land. That's one of the things I learned from uh, Fruchtenbaum's book, because uh, I've, I've narrated two books for him, very long books. Uh, <laughs> they're great, though. Yep. Uh, Footsteps of the Messiah, yep. which looks at mm. the uh, all the prophecies leading up to the end times and the tribulation. Mm. And he says what so many Christians miss is that Israel comes into the land twice in end times, that the last time is when they come back in obedience. That's mm-hmm. when they've called out to Messiah and said, Baruch HaBab HaShem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, but before that, it's prophesied that they will come back into the land in disobedience, mm-hmm. which I think is what we see now. Oh, oh, they're coming, some are coming back in obedience. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, but, they, but the, the nation the, of Israel yeah, yeah, is the nation back in, as the a whole. in disobedience, not as, a, not as a godly, obedient yeah, nation. Certainly not as far as accepting the Messiah yeah, that, yeah. We, that we believe and know as Jesus. That's, that's true. Um, but uh, it's all part of God's redemption. And the, the thing is that Christians have to be long-sighted, not short-sighted, because the short-sighted Christian will say, and, and, and I've read this, I've, I've actually written articles about this. Christian academics have written articles that say something along the lines of, if the modern uh, Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people to Israel, and the modern restoration of the state of Israel were certainly something from God, then why aren't we seeing those people returning, coming to faith in Christ, yeah. coming to faith in the Messiah? That's a short-sighted view. Because that is going to happen. That is God's ultimate goal, is that they come to faith in their Messiah. He will reveal the Messiah to them, but before he does that, in that place, and he will do it in Israel, yeah. he has to gather them there. So you have to have a bit of a, a more long-sighted view of the whole situation that God has a plan of redemption for Israel. Part of the plan and part of the beginning is Aliyah. Yeah. Get them back into the land. And the... the the end game of that redemption will be the final revelation of Yeshua, the Messiah, to the people of Israel, whereby they will cry, Baruch HaBah B'Shem Adonai, and they will look on him whom they have pierced, as Zechariah chapter yeah. 12 says. So, on, on me whom they have pierced. On me, how, that's how, right. How can they miss that? Yeah. yeah. Well, when, yeah, the, pa- the passage in Zechariah is Yahweh speaking. That's right. How, how can they miss it? How can you miss it? How did I miss it until I was 19 years of age? Yeah. It's the, the mercy of God that opens their eyes yeah. to see, and the yeah. day will come when, when they yeah. will see. And, and that, so the, the Christian academics who are criticizing this point of Israel, saying, I don't believe that God is behind the restoration because they're not coming to Christ, are simply perhaps... Not just short-sighted, but impatient. I think a lot of it too is, uh, and one of my pet subjects, it's lack of biblical knowledge. Yeah. Um, you know, on Facebook and other social media, mostly for me is Facebook because I don't do the Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you've got people doing, oh, you know, with the COVID lockdown, oh, it's coming to the mark of the beast. Yeah. And, the, and I'm going, do you actually read your Bible? Mm. And, and another thing, I mean, yeah. which I love from that Fruchtenbaum book, The yeah. Footsteps of the Messiah, mm. is... And I say to them, I say, okay, so this this mark of the beast, which, by the way, comes in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years into the tribulation, which is three and a half years after the beast, the Antichrist, signs the peace treaty with Israel, Mm -hmm. which comes after that Antichrist has supplanted three of the ten kings of the ten world government, which occurs sometime after the failed Russian-led invasion of Israel. Mm -hmm. Is that the mark of the beast to you? Because we're talking about a long period of time here before, I mean, if we started today, if if Russia went to invade Israel today, that's the whole Gog and Magog invasion, we're, we're still talking at least seven years, eight years until the mark of the beast. But because we have this little, tiny little knowledge of end times prophecies, mm. we, we don't understand. I think that's the same thing with people that look at Israel. Yeah. And, and fail to understand it in God's greater plan. I think, I think an important point too, Rob, is that sometimes in biblical prophecy that we try and interpret it before the event and some will never have a clear understanding of until it happens. So some prophecy from God is to say, I'm warning you this is going to happen. Yep. But some prophecy is, I told you this so that you would know when it happened. Yeah, And... Um, I think I think that's because I think in hindsight, otherwise we would look at that prophecy and everyone would believe, as you said, and why, why can't they see, look upon him whom they have pierced? Why aren't they believing? Because they can't see it until it happens. They'll realize this is what was written. Yeah. This is what was written. 
And so, you know, when it comes to interpretation of end time stuff on Israel, uh, you were talking about Ezekiel 38, 39, the Gog and Magog war. Um, I don't know, but I do know that we are supposed to know about these things either. So maybe not so much that we can interpret the exact time in the future, but so that when it does take place, we can say this is what was written. Yeah. And then we will know. Yeah. But, you know, one thing is for sure, I think, and we'd agree on, is that once there is a seven-year peace treaty signed with Israel, uh, the, the time is short. Yes, time yeah, is absolutely. Short. Time absolutely. is short, you know. Uh, to me, the, the, the thing, we can, we can concentrate on that, and we should know, and we should know our scriptures anyway. Yeah. We should know, like, the, the, the men of the tribe of Issachar, the times yeah. that they were yeah. in. Absolutely. But the, the point to me, the point of knowing the scriptures is that I would know God more. Yeah. Uh, somebody just posted something that I replied to on one of the a Christian page on Facebook, and, yeah. and they said uh, it was about Jesus clearing the the, the temple and talked about yeah. righteous anger and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, actually, your interpretation of why he did that is wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know the character of Jesus, mm-hmm. read the Gospels. If you mm-hmm. read the Gospels, you would realize that mm-hmm. your interpretation of that is wrong. Yeah. The whole point of us knowing the Scriptures, knowing God, is so that it would change us mm-hmm. to be more like him so that others would see him in us yeah. and be drawn to him. Mm. It's it's not so that Rob and Nigel uh, have this great understanding of Israel's place in prophetic mm. scripture. It's not that Rob and Nigel have this uh, revelations of revelation. Mm. It's so that people would see Yeshua, Jesus, in us yeah. and be drawn to him. Yeah, and and we, we can get so sidetracked on all this other stuff. I know. You know, there's some good old-fashioned um, principles that, that I live by, and you probably do too. And I they, hope so. they they still fit. They still fit. Christians should read their Bible regularly. It's not they shouldn't just leave it for church on a Sunday. Yeah. And but they should read their Bible. If they're not reading their Bible regularly, they're leaving themselves open to deception because that's the answer to deception is know the truth. Is and and Jesus and, and thy word is truth. Thy word Jesus is truth. Jesus said that yep. John seventeen. Uh, so they and another one is to to keep in regular prayer with God. Pray, read the Bible, and and another one is the importance of fellowship. Need to belong to a the church. The basics. The basic things they still yeah. stand. We talk about basic things. Persecution. Yeah. Right. We were talking about that before. Now let, let me just just give you this because I, I mentioned this to Nigel before. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about seed that fell among the rocks, and it sprung up quickly, but when the sun shone on it, it died away because it didn't have any roots. In the explanation of that to the disciples, Jesus says this is the same as people that hear the word of God. They receive it with gladness, but when persecution comes upon them, they fall away for lack of faith, for lack of depth of faith. So Jesus likened the sun, or likened persecution, to the sun. The sun is integral to plant growth. So when we're talking about the basics for Christian growth, mm-hmm. we're talking about Bible reading, we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about time and prayer. To me, persecution is right in there mm. as a basic for Christian growth. Well, you know, persecution comes into trials and tribulations and consider it all joy, all my joy. brethren, when you yep. face tribulations and trials of, of, of all sorts. Yeah, where you go, Peter, what have you been smoking? Bro? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Because it's, you know, it's, part of, it's part of what makes us who we are. So there has to be, uh, there has to be some form of um, uh, growth through hard times, trials, tribulation, or persecution. And persecution, although it's not something that I, I welcome openly, it's not something that I will despise. Because I think it will have its benefits for the church, and I think the church in New Zealand actually, if it were to suffer a dose of persecution, yeah. it would result in a, a, a more glorious church that is united and a church that loves one another more. Because I think persecution will sort out who the real Christians are from mm. those who are just faking it. There's the story which I, I believe, I mean anecdotally, but I believe enough people have, have backed it up. The uh, the Chinese. Uh, church, the house church yep. movement, when the, in gratitude to the the American Christians that have brought yep. the word of God and everything, and they said, how can we bless our brothers? Should we pray for this and this? And somebody says, no, what we should pray is that God would persecute them <laughs> as a blessing upon them. And and you know what? I, I, I watched a clip. I, sh- I played it to my church just a month or two ago, a really good clip, and it was an American pastor in Talking to Chinese Christians. Oh, this is the the, the one where, where they, they travel for like hours and hours and hours and they sit on the floor. I think so, yeah. and, absolutely. And 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 uh, and that, when he was ready to go back to the United States, they said, 
we want you to pray for us and we want you to pray that we will that become we will be like, like you. you. <laughs> yeah. The American pastor said, no, he could see the difference. He refused. He said, you come all this way over, to all, make all this effort to get to a meeting. In my, where I live, you know, if they have to do too much, they'll stay yep. at home. Yep. Or they'll complain that the air conditioning's not right. You you have Bibles on scraps of yeah. paper which you memorize, and yeah. we have five, six Bibles in the house which we never read. And he, and he yeah. said, no, I'm not going to pray that you become like us Americans. I'm going to pray that we Americans become, become like you like Christians you. in China. Yeah. 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 The real church, you know. Let's, uh, let's talk about persecution. Nigel yeah. wrote a book, gosh, how long ago? 10? 12, 12 years ago? 2009, 2009. that was released, yeah. So this is, this is the Holocaust Exposed, the, uh, Exposed the Bible Enigma uh, by Pastor Nigel Woodley. Um, the biblical account of the Jewish tragedy, where do you find the Holocaust in the Bible? Uh, in, in quite a few passages I find the Holocaust, actually. I mean... I mean, um, so when we're talking the Holocaust, we're talking yeah. Nazi Germany, of course, World yeah. War Two. We're not just talking the persecution of the Jews, the, which the, we find in the Bible everywhere. You know, the Holocaust, when I'm talking about the biblical account of the Jewish tragedy, I believe the evidence that I put in, in that book there is, uh, gives a good outline of different passages in the Bible prophetically that were speaking of the Holocaust. I mean, for example, um, it, 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 perhaps a bit more controversy, the time of Jacob's trouble. Yep. When you look at that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, I'm, I say, and there are others who agree with me, but there's a lot who don't, who think that, that now I believe in the great tribulation is coming. Yep. It'll be the worst tribulation we've ever suffered. But I don't believe that was what the time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble was speaking about in Jeremiah 30. I believe that was talking about the Holocaust. And when you look at it in the context and you see that in the book, I think I've got a whole chapter on that, the time of Jacob's yep. trouble, that um, I believe that was speaking of the Holocaust. But there are other... Other uh, areas where the Holocaust is spoken in the Bible, even uh, in Moses, um, his last sermon to Israel before he ascended Mount Nebo, and remember the Lord took him, buried him yeah. on Mount Nebo in a valley. And his last discourse to Israel basically was telling us this is what's going to happen in the end for Israel. In, in the end, maybe the last days, I think. And in that he said that, uh, that the chambers would bring terror. And the word in the Hebrew is chedarim. He says, from the chambers I see terror for young men and young women, infants and grey-haired men. And, uh, so, and, and then he goes on to talk about at the very end of his discourse, he talks about this period of tragedy for Israel, and he's talking about, I'll show you what's going to happen at the end. That's in verse 20 of uh, Deuteronomy 32. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end of his discourse, the last words of Moses to Israel in verse 43 were talked about the restoration of Israel out of this tragedy. He says, uh, rejoice you Gentiles uh, with his people because the Lord is going to redeem his people and his land. He said he will have, he will, uh, what is the word that is used in the Hebrew? I'm just trying to get it. Um, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He'll take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land yep. and people. And what we're seeing in our day is the restoration of Israel, the declaration of statehood just three years after the fires of extermination, yeah. were put out, that's called God making atonement for the and, land and, why and the should people. The, why should the Holocaust yeah. not be prophesied in the Bible? Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the Bible, is, particularly the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is yeah. primarily uh, interested in the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. we, we know that the end times mm -hmm. is prophesied. We know that the Babylonian captivity was prophesied. Yeah. Uh, we know that the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and, and the, the uh, expulsion of the Jews from the land was all prophesied. The, the Holocaust was one of the, in amongst all the bad, bad things that yeah. have happened to the Jewish people mm -hmm. throughout their mm -hmm. um, three and a half, four thousand year history. It's the worst. It's the Holocaust is the worst. So why would it not? Why would God not put that into His Absolutely. word? Well, well, if God recorded what Pharaoh did to the Hebrew boys when they were tossed into the Nile River, yeah, 
when God recorded what Haman, the son of Hamadathah, the Agagite, tried to do to the whole Jewish race yeah. in the book of Esther, then surely, if he recorded what Herod did to the Hebrew boys at the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, then surely you would think that he would record what many scholars have called the greatest tragedy yeah. of the Jewish people, and he has. And that's, what I, that's why I wrote the book. And, and, uh, and, you know, if I just look at some of the chapter names here, we'll talk about... That's sometimes your, the your best reference. way to figure out how a book's going to go. Yeah. Um, 20th Century Haman. Look, the second chapter is called 20th Century Haman. Now, this is an interesting story. And... You know, Haman tried, he set out to exterminate. Actually, the word in the Hebrew in the book of Esther is lahashmid. He set out with a plan to exterminate all the Jews, and it also says to plunder their goods. Which would be the, the, the version of the, the, the eighth, is it 8th century BC version the, this of is the final solution. Absolutely. And it's in the, this would be the 5th century BC. 5th century BC. The, so, the fifth century. so if you haven't caught it, Haman, by the way, it's the book of Esther yeah. in the Bible. Uh, Haman, as we like to call yeah. him in our in our nice English language, yeah. uh, gets upset, wants to exterminate the whole of the yeah. uh, of the Jewish people because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him, and, the, and the, that's what the book so of he Esther sets, is about. So he sets out, and, and this is exactly the blueprint that the Nazis used: is that they wanted to exterminate the Jews. It wasn't just for extermination's sake; it was the huge amount of plunder that would make the Third Reich and its masters rich. You've t you've heard of Nazi gold and all the properties. I mean, uh, one guy, one expert for the um, Reclamation Fund did an analysis of how much plunder the Nazis took off the Jews of Europe yep. during the Holocaust, and it had equated in 2005 to something like 315 billion US dollars worth of plunder. I was reading um, just last night as I was going through this again, and I cannot remember which chapter it was in, but it was um, the fact that... Oh, there we go. This is part of it, the... Um, 97,000 sets of men's clothing, 76,000 sets of women's, 155,000 women's coats, that not only did they um, plunder the, 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 the goods of the Jews, but they plundered their bodies. They, we know they took the gold teeth out, they took yeah. the glasses, they took A the... A complete plundering. Everything, yeah. they used the the melted down body fat they used the burned bodies for fertilizer and the it hair was, the, the, the hair that was shaved yeah. off the woman was used for something to do with submarine crews so it's just everything it's, was plundered let, from let's the let's try and get rid of anything yeah. that might even look or or, yeah. or or become or have been part of yeah. so this was this was Haman's I'll call him Haman this was his plan it yeah. was to completely plunder the Jews so he offered. He offered the king of Persia, he said, I'll put into the royal treasury 10,000 talents of silver. Yeah, I'll if, pay for it myself. Yeah, if I can have the right to exterminate the Jews, all the Jews, and to plunder their goods. And the king was tricked and fell for the plan, the evil plan, the wicked plan. Yeah. Well, 10,000 talents of silver is very interesting because that equates to 30 million shekels because in every talent was 3,000 shekels of silver. 30 million shekels of silver he was willing to pay for the complete extermination of the Jews and the plundering of their goods. And we read in, uh, in it would be Numbers, in Numbers 16 I believe it is, that the Israelites were required to pay five sanctuary shekels into the treasury for every firstborn son. It was a redemption price yep. for their firstborn. Five shekels of yeah, silver. Yeah, I'm doing the math here okay, now. Five yep. shekels of silver. And in Exodus 4.22 the Lord said, Israel is my son, my firstborn. That put every Israelite under the category of God's firstborn. Yeah. Now, the amount of money that Haman was prepared to pay for his right to exterminate all the Jews, and you know how many were exterminated in the Holocaust, yeah. in Hitler's Holocaust? How many? Six million. Six million, that's correct. The amount that Haman was prepared to pay, 10,000 talents of silver, which equals 30 million shekels of silver, equates to the redemption price of exactly of, of five six shekels. million yeah. Yeah. of God's Five firstborn Israel. So that's a chilling portent yeah. that we see just in that story. And that's just a, a, you know, a picture yeah. that is created of that. Um, I think, to, to me, stories like this should, uh, if, if we're understanding and reading them, and the, the hard thing is that as Christians, we, we know this and we're discussing mm. it as believers in, yeah. in Yahweh, believers mm. in the God of the Bible. Um, I would hope that if somebody who didn't believe in God... Mm caught a hold of some of this, mm. 
they would start to shake and possibly perspire with fear yeah. before the living God. And, yeah. and that's the beginning of recognizing him. Mm. Uh, I said this in the church I was speaking at um, yesterday in Matamata, uh, Peria Assembly of God, yeah. uh, which was a great time, by the way. It was a wonderful time. Um, God's plan is for us to spend eternity with him. But to do that, we have to come into the right place with him, which we know we do through the blood of Jesus. But you're not going to recognize that until you actually recognize that God is God. Mm. And so this fear of God as God and this fear of eternal punishment for yeah. our sin has got to come in. Yeah. So I would hope that anybody that's, that's reading something like your book here or, or just talking about it who doesn't yeah. know the Lord yeah. is starting to go, um, to how do I get out of this fix? So that's 20th century Haman. That whole story I yeah. gave you is in the second chapter. Um, there's another one in Zechariah, flee from the land of the north. That's Zechariah 2. Come, come, flee from the land of the north. And that's speaking to the Israelites. Uh, I believe it's a... Re- and if you look at Zechariah chapter 2, it's an end time prophecy yeah. of the of Israel being restored, but through trouble. And so the, and, and part of the trouble is come and flee from the land of the north. Well, the yeah, land of the I mean, north... I know some people say, yeah. no, oh, no, hang on, that's talking about Babylon because when they're yeah. in the Babylonian captivity, yeah. you go, well, hang on, Babylon's not to the north, it's no. to the east. That's right. So it can't be, can't be Babylon. When you look at the north country compared with Israel, you're talking about, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, my interpretation, you'll find this in my book, is that the north country or the land of the north is that huge European continent, yeah. including western Russia, the western part of the Soviet Union, where all of the atrocities took place in the Holocaust. Yeah. And I believe that was the land that was being alluded to, come, come, flee from the land of the north. And, you know, I answer the question, where was God in the Holocaust? And I've updated, uh, I could write the book again and update some <laughs> of the notions. I've, uh, that's quite a complicated uh, chapter on where was God, although I think it's, it makes sense. But I've, pre- I've taught this in, in, in my own church since then. And when you ask the question, where was God during the Holocaust? Well, okay, where was God? God... First of all, he was in the Zionist movement trying to create a state to save the Jews so they would not have to go through such a holocaust. Mm. Uh, and, and whereas many before World War II began did manage, but not enough, escape Nazi Europe or Hitler's Europe um, before the, 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 the gates closed tight on Fortress Europe, uh, Enough. There were some that did manage. Too many did not manage to. Yeah. But if they had have known their Tanakhs, they might have heeded the warning: "Come, come, flee from the land of the north." Well, what did Jesus you know? say when he lamented over yeah. Jerusalem? If if you'd known your Bible, if you'd known if you'd the known day the times, of your visitation, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and you know there were, but there were other voices, not just the Bible. There were secular voices crying out. Guys like Zev Jabotinsky was a, a great zealot as far as the Zionist movement was concerned, yeah. he was crying out to his people. He was oh, an, people, people saw this an, inf- an influential in leader yeah. in Europe. Among the Jews, they knew him. He was a, a popular newspaper columnist, and he was saying, leave Europe. Jew, pack your bags. Go to Palestine. We have a homeland that is safe. He says, I, I see a terrible sight in front of us. I see the fires of extermination. Yeah. He said that in 1938, one year before the outbreak of war. But so again, when you, when you were talking before about short-sightedness and yeah. questions, where yeah. was God during the Holocaust? That's an incredibly short-sighted question. Yeah. Well, yeah, the he, answer is... Where, where was he during the Babylonian captivity? He was in the Word, first of all, bringing some reproof to Israel and yeah. some warning that this could happen, so get out. He was also in, this, in the Zionist leaders like Jabotinsky trying to warn the people. Yeah. But, but God was in uh, the light of Christian... He was in Christian intercessors praying for the deliverance of the Jews. Guys like Rhys Howes in the Bible College of Wales mm. in Swansea That's an in, in, in Wales. Story, yeah. He was in that whole group who interceded for Israel, for the Jewish people, before the state was born and after it was born. Yeah. But they were interceded. So God was there at work. He, God was, where was God? He was in the Allied armies, liberating Europe from the tyranny of Nazism uh, to free the remnant. Yeah. Of the Jewish people. How arrogant we are yeah. when we ask, where were you? Yeah. God was there. Have you, you've been to Israel how many times? Uh, five or six. Five or six times. Yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, it amazes me. I've been once, mm-hmm. and, and there's a lady in Welcome Bay in Tauranga. Um, and when I said, oh, we're, we're going to Israel, she goes, oh, I'm so jealous. And I'm going, 
you go every two years. You've been about 20 times. <laughs> I go, um, I've been there so many times now because I'm the chairman of Ebenezer Operation Exodus. Oh, okay, right. That's in New Zealand, the you, New Zealand You're, you're trying to make Aliyah. Yeah, and, uh, and we're a huge worldwide Christian organisation which is trying to support the Jewish people on their endeavour to get yeah. back home. So we help financially but also prayerfully support and practically in other ways we support the Jews getting back home to Israel. So since Ebenezer, Ebenezer was born in 1990 during the Gulf War, uh, we've helped over 170,000 Jews amazing, go back yeah. to Israel. So that's a great yeah. Christian, and, and, and it's known as a Christian ministry, yep. helping Jews go helping home. Jews so go the home. Jews know, the and, and the, the, the um, Aliyah Foreign Affairs in Israel, um, the Jewish agency who, in, who are in charge of Aliyah, they know who Ebenezer is because often we're partnering with them and helping them and helping bring their Jews back. A great, a great testimony of Christian love and support for Israel. Yeah. What's your favourite part of the land? The favourite part of the land in Israel? Um, I don't know. I, I would. Well, I love Jerusalem. I love walking through the Jewish quarter of the old city. Yeah. And I love that. I love going down to the Kotel. That's the Wailing Wall, where the, that's the last remains of the retaining wall around Herod's great temple. Right, which is the temple compound, not the temple it's itself. The temple it's the, compound, it's the temple yeah, it's compound. the temple compound. Yeah. And so uh, if there was one place in Israel that, that you go, okay, Nigel, we're going to send you to Israel, but you can only go to one place. One place. That would be the, the, the yeah, Kotel? Perhaps to Jerusalem, yeah. yeah, to the old city. Yeah, I've stayed in the old city to place at a hotel called Christ Church, yeah. a compound there, which, is a, which was originally an Anglican-based ministry, missionary yep. ministry. And... Uh, yeah, I love the old city. Yeah, we had, but yeah. we went to a, a wonderful service there with uh, Aaron. I can't remember his surname now. The, the vicar of oh. Christ Church. Okay, and, yeah, it's yeah. it's great. I have a friend who uh, lives in Akko, Guy Cohen. He uh, leads a fellowship in Akko, mm -hmm. and um, in his testimony, when he talks about what it was as a uh, an Orthodox Jewish young man yeah. at about the same age you were, because he was about eighteen when this happened. Mm -hmm. um, what was it that that made him realize that Yeshua was mm. was was king? Yeah. And he said he was reading. This is just to do with Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. He was reading in Zechariah, um, "Behold, your king riding on a donkey." Mm -hmm. Right now, we talk about the old city of Jerusalem, which is quite small compared to the modern mm -hmm. expanse of Jerusalem. Yeah. And guy went to his rabbi, and he says. Why is Messiah riding a donkey? Why isn't he in a limousine or in a helicopter or yeah. something? And it just made him realize that Messiah must have come yeah. back in the days when yeah. the mode of trend. Yeah, because yeah. can you imagine? Can you imagine you know, <laughs> Messiah riding up Hebron Road on, on a, donkey? a donkey in this day and age? In this day and age, more like a Harley Davidson or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, hey, there's something I forgot to tell you about this book. Yeah. By the way, I should tell you. I told you I would. Look. Um, I was very nervous about publishing this book because I'm just a Gentile pastor. And at the time I wrote that, I, all I had was a diploma in theology from Faith Bible College. Right. I've, I've since gone on. I've got, I have my doctorate now in theology. And, uh, but when I wrote that book, that's all I had. But I had enough Bible knowledge. I'd been a pastor for many years already, I, so I'd studied the Bible all my Christian life. And I had enough knowledge, and I learned not only the, the biblical Portion. The reason I could relate biblically to what happened historically in the Holocaust is because I also did a lot of his, uh, secular research on the Holocaust. So I yeah. had secular history, the biblical account. That's how I put it together. But I was very nervous. But in, 19, uh, in 2008, I decided that I should write it, put what I knew in, a, in book form on the biblical account of the Holocaust. And it took me just three months to put everything that I'd, I'd spent probably 15 or 20 years prior putting yeah. it all together. I had all the information, never planned to put it's it It's like writing book. a good sermon, isn't yeah. it? People go, how can you do that in two yeah, yeah. hours? Well, no, no, I, I had the all the information, yeah. all the hard work had been done it. over yeah. the previous 15 or 20 years, but I never realised I'd put it in a book, but I got the inspiration in 2008 to put it in a book. It took me three months. And at the end of that three months, um, uh, there I was, uh, I had it on Microsoft Word on a laptop, uh, early hours of one morning, my wife's in bed uh, sleeping, and I'm on the lazy boy finishing off this manuscript. Yep. I critiqued the manuscript over and over and over until I had worn myself out. I said to God, uh, I've done as much as I can do on this manuscript. I believe that you want me to publish this book. 
Uh, but I can do no more. I have to put it into the hands of a professional editor now. And I found a professional editor in California, a Jewish Christ, a believer, Messianic Jew, yep. who many of her family perished in the Holocaust. She edited it for me. But I said, God, I'll have to find a professional editor. I've done all I can do. I commit it to you. And then out of interest, I decided, oh, before I close the manuscript, I'll just check on the word count. And I went to the tools menu on Microsoft Word, yep. pulled down tools menu, word count, and the word, when, the, when I saw the word count, I couldn't believe it. The word count was 77,777 words. <laughs> and, and, you know, when that came, this meant something. That's, that's God's sense of humor. This is, that, that, that meant something because when I saw the 77777, I remembered a vision I had 10 years previous. Yeah. And in this vision, I saw the contents page of a book, and it had 16 chapters. I did not know the name of the book, nor the names of those chapters, but I knew that this is the contents page of a book that has 16 chapters, and at the end of chapter 16, the only words I saw in the vision were, confirmed me, confirmed me, confirmation, yeah. confirmed me. And when I saw the 77777, I remembered the vision. And I said, thank you, God. This has 16 chapters. Yeah. I did. It had didn't realize. I said, this yeah. has got 16 chapters. And thank you, God, with the 77777, you've confirmed to me that you're in the book. Yeah. That was an and, and God in heaven does that little Snoopy. And that was an injection of uh, supernatural courage. To publish a book that I yep. felt, who am I? What right do I have to do such a thing? I am not a, uh, even. Yeah, a, I'm, I'm not yeah. a Jew. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You didn't even have your doctorate then. Didn't you, even you, have my doctorate then. Normal. So that's like the rest of that's us. why I boldly published it. Yep. We, we put my wife and I put probably fifty five thousand dollars into publishing it properly, advertising through Rema and yeah, other yep. other areas, just to get the message out there. You know, the Bible says that uh, great are those who publish the word, and for that that means privileged to those who can publish yeah. the word. So we put the word in there, we felt privileged to it, even though it cost us money to do it. You know, what it price, never costs what us money. What it just, price, we just have to pay for it up front. What price do you pay for the truth? That's you right. know? So that's, we believe that's the truth. Talk to me, just yeah. as we finish, talk to me as if, um, well, I, I mean, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, which, yeah. which is very much into replacement theology. I remember one of the books I narrated for Ariel Ministries was yeah. uh, Dr. Andrew Robinson, I think it is, uh, Israel betrayed. Um, talk to me as if I've grown up in the church. I love Jesus, mm -hmm. but Israel is not on my agenda. Yeah. What would you say to me? I would say that uh, you can't be a, a, a Christian who is truly dedicated to Christ and reading your Bible and miss the fact that in your Bible Israel is mentioned nearly 1,800 times. And references to other words like Judah, the tribes of Israel, and, and, and the Hebrews, and all comes in 3,000, over 3,000 times in your Bible. You can't read your Bible and ignore Israel. If you, are, if, you, if you read your Bible and ignore the love and plan and covenant God has with Israel, then you are doing it on purpose. There's a bias in your heart against Israel. How do I get rid of that bias, Nigel? Well, I would repent of my... You see, this is what, this is what Western Carrier who was a great evangelist yeah. in New Zealand, said, he said to me privately, he said, Nigel, the trouble is there's a spirit of anti-Semitism in the church at large. And I would renounce that spirit of anti-Semitism out of my life and ask God to, to take it out of my heart and I would replace it with a love for Israel by perhaps doing something that I haven't done before. I'd start praying for the Jewish people. I'd pray for God's blessing upon their state and I would begin to see if there are practical things that I can do to help the Israelis. That's what I would do. Yeah, because you spoke before about the the the, uh, the word of faith, because you know, yeah. faith comes by hearing, yes. hearing by the word of do God. Something. God taught me a long time ago you about see, the power of the spoken word. But yeah. so if I don't even realize I have the spirit of anti-Semitism in yeah. me, I need to repent verbally yeah. of that and say, God, I, I reject that spirit. Yeah, I choose to love the Jewish people. You have not rejected them. If you're reading your Bible, how can you say you've rejected them when you've just quoted a scripture before that as long as the sun is shining, the moon is shining, the stars are in their place, the waves are crashing on the yep. beach, God says, as long as that has happened, then Israel is still a nation still before mine, yeah. me. They're still a nation before me. Now, it was not written about the church. It's written about the people of Israel. And uh, So that's how I would answer yep. it. You know, 
and, and, you know, Ebenezer, Operation Exodus, helps the Aliyah. It's Christians helping yes. Jews go back home. That, su- support that sort of kind of work. Yeah. And, and that will help you change your heart's attitude toward it. Excellent. Funnily enough, in my doctorate, my doctorate dissertation that I did last year, the doctorate dissertation was Modern Israel is Still Biblical Israel. Oh, excellent. Is, um, is the book still available? Yes, you can. Uh, if you go to the website for the dub 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 dot for the protection of Zion. For the protection of Zion, we'll put com. the link yep. down there. Dub 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 dot for the protection of Zion dot com. That's yep. my uh, public advocacy site for supporting Israel publicly, as we do. Uh, you'll find that under the resources, you'll find the book. Okay, excellent, right. wonderful. We got to do this again, and we'll, yep. next time I, I want to. Um, we'll have to do a little bit more uh, coordination between this. I want to dig into the scriptures. Good, right? Excellent. Dig stuff out of that. Thanks for coming in. Excellent. Thank you. Great to be here.